and rising up to everlasting life. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 7 and take the lesson that is here for us in the final nine verses. The Gospel of John chapter 7, verses 40 through 44 were division among the people about Jesus, and now we have division among the rulers about Jesus. And let's learn what we can from this event that God chose, that if all the events had been written, the world itself could not contain the books, but the one book that God did want us to have contains these verses. So what can we learn from them? And it will be slightly different than the lesson we learned in verses 40 through 44. I read to you, beginning at verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them, the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. And we're going to do that in just a few minutes. And I hope we go to our own houses a little better than these men did without settling anything on the most important issue and the most important person they would ever meet or face, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. I hope that we will go to our houses or to the highways with our hearts committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 45, then came the officers. These are magistrates or policemen, to give you some sort of a comparison for our children, that were sent to apprehend the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 32 of this chapter, we were told, the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. They heard about the rumors that some of the people thought Jesus could be the Christ. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And so that's where those officers were sent. Jesus then, at the end of the feast, gives us the wonderful statement that we've dealt with about the Holy Spirit now the officers came back to the Pharisees and chief priests that sent them, but no Jesus. Because the 44th verse told us, some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. It was not the time for the Lord Jesus Christ to be taken to trial and to end up being crucified. That was still six or seven months away. They returned to the religious rulers which had sent them to apprehend Jesus. It's been common for the enemies of true religion to use the civil authorities against us. The Roman Catholic Church seldom did the dirty work. They had the civil arm do the dirty work for them during the dark ages of Europe. And so it was governments that are influenced by a particular church that are very dangerous to the people of God. We are thankful for religious freedom in America for Muslims. Do you understand that? We're, we want religious freedom in America for everyone so that no church gets in control of our government that can use the executive power of our government or any other power in order to pass laws and force laws against us. Thus, we care about the election of legislators and clamor for religious laws. You know, when there's religious laws that are going to be changed, we care about things like that because we want to preserve our liberty because in the liberty for Muslims and the liberty for Catholics and the liberty for Mormons, there can be liberty for Baptists. Right. And that's the way it's been in America for a good while now. Thus, we care about the appointees to the Supreme Court of the United States that will interpret the laws. We care. Thus, we care about the rabble that invents idiotic charges like hate crimes as if making murder a hate crime somehow adds to the depravity of murder. The depravity of murder can't get any worse whether you love the person you killed or you hated them. I would say that if you love the person you killed, it's worse than if you hated them. But none, nonetheless, 
when there are laws like that being talked about, and there are nations around us like Canada that will accuse pastors of hate crimes for preaching against sin and sinners, we care. So Lord, we're asking you, as we ask you often, to preserve our nation. Thus, we care about Hollywood's constant efforts to smear Bible Christians in all the media and entertainment of our nation. They never exalt a Bible Christian. We thank God for our great liberty for 400 years that there's no officers being sent to take us by some state or national church sending policemen to do their dirty work for them against us. We thank God for that. William Screven didn't have it so nice in the state of Maine when the Congregational Church was the state church of that state. They came to the chief priests. Chief priests were the highest ranking descendants of Aaron, and they should have known best of anyone. They were the descendants of Aaron, responsible for the worship of God and the sacrificial system of Moses' law. They should have been looking for the replacement of those sacrifices more than anyone. But they weren't. These so closely involved in God's worship should have known Christ first. These so dearly involved in animal sacrifices should have loved Christ the most. Instead, they were rabidly committed to destroy Jesus, and you will find them throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, especially as we get to his trial. The chief priests were very principal operators against the Lord Jesus Christ and raising the ire of the rabble against him. They are the ones that charged Saul of Tarsus to destroy Christians, and then they sought to kill Saul of Tarsus after he was converted. It was the chief priests. You can read about them in the book of Acts. However, Acts chapter 6 tells us that by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, a great company of the priests were converted to the faith. Amen. Thank you, Lord. The most religious of men, even of the Orthodox faith, can be very dangerous. I ended the first sermon by saying Christians can be very dangerous. I want you to think this is God's church. This is the Orthodox faith of the Old Testament, but for some rabbinical variations. These were the chief priests applying Moses' law and the sacrificial system of worship. They were the ones that hated Jesus so much. Never forget that. Religious people, when pressed, hate Jesus of the Bible. And the Pharisees. Verse 45 lumps the Pharisees in. Paul testified to us and told us in Acts chapter 26 that the Pharisees were the straightest sect of the Jews' religion. Straight being spelled S-T-R-A-I-T, meaning the most restrictive and the strictest of the Jewish denominational segments or sects of their religion. The Pharisees were the fundamentalists. The Pharisees were the most conservative. And the most conservative, not the liberals. See, the liberals don't bother us. It was the Congregationalists in Maine. It was the Jonathan Edwards that bothered the Baptists. The Episcopalians or the Church of England that was the state church of South Carolina, they were liberal and they were tolerant. We don't care if the Baptists come. And so the Baptists came here to this state. The the Sadducees didn't care. They didn't fight Jesus as much as the Pharisees did. If you read through the Gospel accounts, it's the Pharisees that were after the Lord Jesus Christ. The Sadducees were the liberals. They didn't even believe in a spirit. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in anything. And we meet liberals, and they'll say, it's okay for you to believe what you believe. And I I don't even know what I believe, but it's okay for you to, to believe what you believe. They're different. Fundamentalists or Pharisees The straightest, most conservative are the ones that turn to be the enemies of truth. As they were in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the life of the Apostle Paul, it was the Pharisees that were the Jewish legalists that caused Paul so much trouble during his life and Jesus during his ministry. I just quickly ran over some church history and American history that I just hope you understand that Elisha Screven had the courage and the confidence, knowing that the Church of England wouldn't really care, that he could put the Anapato Baptist Church of Christ right next to the Church of England on Church Street in Georgetown, South Carolina, just right next door. Antipato. What does Antipato mean? Or should I pronounce it Antipado? 
Antipedo. Why would you name a Baptist church Antipedo? What does Pedo mean? What's a pediatrician do? Children. Oh, children. You mean that somebody would name a Baptist church? No children get baptized here, Baptist church? Oh, yes. I want you to love Elisha Screven. He did that in Georgetown, South Carolina. Put it right next to the Church of England. Before I finish that little story, Church Street runs this direction, and all the city streets of Georgetown butt up to it and end at it, end at Church Street. Screven Street runs and ends at the Antipato Baptist Church of Christ. So the Screvens named the street after them that ended at the Baptist Church. What was the street name that ended at the Church of England? Broad Street. Oh, yes. Listen, there are some brothers that have gone before us that were courageous. Now, this is, a, this is a man and his father that were put in prison in Maine for preaching against infant baptism. And they come down there in Antipato Baptist Church of Christ. I had the privilege of entering the, that county's museum to see the original drawing of Elisha Screven laying out the city streets and saw all this. And the two ancient ladies that worked in there were both members of the Church of England. And I called them over and asked them if they knew what Antipato Baptist Church of Christ meant. But they didn't. So I got to educate them. <laughs> All this was to say, the liberals, of, the liberals of the Church of England were an easier place to live for Baptists than Maine, where it had such preachers like Jonathan Edwards. I am Jonathan Crosby, named after that preacher, but he was not a friend of Baptists. The fundamentalists in our area love their fundamentalism, not Bible truth. If you doubt this generalized accusation, test them with some Bible doctrine. Our children must be taught that their zeal is no different than other zealots. Zeal or strictness is no measure of truth. Look at what nuns do for the Church of Rome. They'll live in a convent, take a vow of poverty, never own anything in their lives. Never own anything in their lives. A vow of poverty, a vow of chastity. No love, romance, or marriage in their lives. No children. They'll do that for the Church of Rome. That's more zealous than anyone you know at Bob Jones University. The Mormon missionaries that I mentioned earlier, and so on and so forth, every religion has their zealots. Zeal does not prove truth. The Word of God proves truth, and we've got to remember that. Niceness doesn't prove truth. The Word of God proves truth. The chief priests and the, and the Pharisees said unto the officers in verse 45, Why have ye not brought him? Because they couldn't bring him. And then they give their explanation in verse 46. The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. You don't know what you're dealing with. We heard some wonderful things come out of our mouth, is one angle on it, and the other is he's affecting a lot of people. There are people saying he's the prophet. There are people saying he's the Christ. We've never had anyone to deal with that speaks like this man, and people listen, and it's affecting them. And that is their answer we have in verse 46. Does their answer show personal conviction or Jesus' influence on the crowd? Because of how the Pharisees respond in the following verses, we safely assume both. Because the Pharisees ridicule both the officers and the common people. So we see both involved there. Because the Pharisees did not just jump to an attack on the common people, they first of all ridiculed the officers and accused them of, are you deceived as well? And so there was implied there, you haven't heard what we just heard. Because obviously, they hadn't. They had to return to the chief priests and the Pharisees to report, and they did not have Jesus with them. So we come to verse 47. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? The Pharisees, the ultra-conservative enemies of Jesus, rebuked the officers. There is practical wisdom for us to learn right now in these verses. Practical wisdom by analyzing the Pharisees' methods of dealing with opposition. By the response, we see how they oppose the officers and the common people. And let's, let's see what we can learn. Are ye also deceived? The first method was to go after the officers, 
for their respectful explanation about Jesus. Now, these officers didn't say all that much. They just said, never man spake like this man. You're dealing with a different kind of a prophet than we've had before. That's all, that's all they said. They didn't commit to say, we just got baptized. We've joined the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. We're going to be deacons there. They didn't say anything like that. But look at the response in verse 47. Are ye also deceived? The first method is to go after the officers without any review of logical fallacies. I'm not going to get into that today. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture to identify the logical fallacies used here. And I don't want to distract you and get you too excited about those logical fallacies, so I have chosen to avoid it. But you can go online and find the logical fallacies that are going to be used by the Pharisees. Think about the response. They ridiculed them. Are ye also deceived? Who said anything about deception? Who said anything about truth or error? Are ye also deceived? They go right after ridicule of these officers. They ridiculed them. They exalted themselves. If you favor Jesus, then you must be like the base rabble. Their basic argument is that anyone believing in Jesus is believing a lie. And, and all of these points can have a, a label put on them that is known as a logical fallacy. Their argument begs the question because they have not proven anything. Are ye also deceived? And nothing's been proven yet. Even the threat of being deceived or lied to is enough to cause anyone to pause. How could the officers respond? It is a loaded question and hard to answer. If they were to answer, they would have to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. That I'm not deceived. It's a very difficult predicament they were put in by this ridicule by the Pharisees. Parents would be wise to help their children understand the Pharisee method. Yep. To ridicule us by calling us a cult. The people that do that, like I said, do not know what the word means. We want to be a cult. They should want to be a cult. A cult is a dedicated, dedicated religious followers of a man or a system of doctrine. We're following a man and a system of doctrine. The man is Christ Jesus and the system of doctrine is apostolic New Testament religion. Amen. Of course we're a cult. In the New Testament, it was called a sect, and Paul was glad to be the ringleader of it. Parents would be wise to help their children understand that sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Go ahead and call me deceived. Go ahead and call me a cult. You haven't proven a thing. Why don't you take the Bible and prove something for a change instead of just quoting John 3, 16, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, if you're baptizing for the dead or some other proof text that you think holds your doctrine when it doesn't. Let's come to verse 48. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Oh, this is sweet. You've got to learn from this. Have any of the rulers? The next Pharisee method is to appeal to authority of mere men to add credibility. There is no appeal to men that adds credibility to the revelation of God. Amen. Never forget that. You can't even find any credibility on our website except the Word of God. When you try to look around for who's the author of this stuff, who wrote these commentaries, where did he go to school, do they really want to know? Madonna University. Yes. And what degree did he get? Bank finance. Yes. That's helpful. When people write and say, who wrote this stuff? What degrees do they have? What seminary trained them? I love to write them back. The bond trading department of a large Midwestern bank trained him. Chief priest cannot be wrong. That's just the assumption that's thrown out. They are from Aaron and they're seminary trained. Have any of the rulers believed on him? Just, just listen to it. That's, that's good enough. I don't need to show any Bible. I don't need to answer his miracles. I don't need to answer his doctrine. All I have to do is say, who else believes on that? Who's the, who's, who with some degrees has ever believed what you believe in your church? Oh, thankfully, not very many people with degrees. Right. Except the degree that is found in Acts chapter 4 and 5. When they heard Peter and John preach full of the Holy Ghost, they knew that these men were unlearned and ignorant men 
but that they had been with Jesus. That's the only degree we want. That we've been with Jesus, we've learned the Word of God, we've got the Holy Spirit, and we're walking according to what the New Testament teaches us a church ought to do. This argument, have any of the rulers an appeal to authority of mere men to add credibility to their statement, are you also deceived? Anyone following Jesus is deceived because how many rulers have believed on him? None. That shows you right there that it's not true. It does? Listen, folks, this, this happens in our town as much as it happens anywhere in the world. And it happens at the world's most unusual university. This argument assumes and uses a clergy versus laity form of intimidation. Clergy versus laity. Clergy, what's the clergy? You know, it's wonderful to have a church that doesn't even know what the clergy are. The clergy are ministers. They're pastors. They're the doctors. They're the theological doctors. They're the reverends. Yes. Reverend and Dr. So-and-so. No. None of that junk here. To your children, I am Brother Crosby, and to you, I'm Brother Jonathan, and that's all. If you address me as sir because you're young or some title of respect like that, that's fine as well. We do that to all men. But that's how we make a distinction because holy and reverend is his name, and no one on earth should be called reverend. But this is the clergy versus the laity. If the clergy say so, then the laity ought to submit, click heels, and salute, probably in this fashion. But that's not what the Bible said even happened to the Apostle Paul. The Bereans were called noble. They received the word of God with a ready mind, but then they searched the scriptures to see if those things were so preached by Paul. If, If you're supposed to search the scriptures when Paul's preaching, you certainly want to do it when this man's preaching. This fallacious reasoning is common by educated men to exalt themselves. Educated men, especially in religious circles, since they have not earned a transferable skill to do anything except to lead the laity to the slaughter and to fleece them. The Bible knows that. Oh, yes, you just got to read Matthew chapter 23. Jesus knew all about the purpose of, in school, looking through the catalog and picking a ministerial degree. Jesus knew all about it. Consider how men market and promote their degrees, their titles, the schools that they went to, and so forth. If the educated men, like most ministers today, do not exalt themselves, then their training is wasted and their control lost. They went and spent a lot of time going to school to get those degrees, and the value of them is worthless if the degrees don't mean anything and they don't remind you that they got them and where they got them from. And the, and the control they have is lost. Bible Christians fear God only and believe they have absolute truth in the Bible. The fear of man brings a snare, Solomon warned, so only fear God. And last night you got to read about Elihu. Amen. He listened for a little while to the four wisest men on earth argue back and forth. Then he said, sit down, I say this very respectfully, shut up and listen to my opinion. I have listened to you bags of wind for for 31 chapters, and now it's time to tell you what's about to blow up inside of me. And Mrs. Pipkin, who do you think in our church that we all think of first off when we think of wine about ready to blow the cork out of a bottle? Who do you think we think of? Yes, he's on your PU. And he's the only he there, except the little one he's training. Micaiah, come and see me after. No, it's wonderful. Amen. Zach has the spirit of Elihu. We just want to learn to be able to sit for 31 chapters and listen. <laughs> and Elihu did it. Yeah, and don't let me slight the brother that's sitting a few rows behind him. Just talk to him for a few minutes. Oh, yes. It's in the family genes. And take the mother to lunch and you'll find out even more. (laughs) And I say all that respectfully. We want to be like Elihu. And I thank God for being taught about Elihu. I wish it had been done earlier in my life. 
And you young men, there's two of you on the front row. Noah, Noah, I want you to learn about Elihu before you're 10. James, before you're 10, I want you to know about Elihu. Every young man in here should know about Elihu. Job 32 is wonderful material. It should, if you're going to go to Bible college, or you're going to go to seminary, the first class you should take should be Elihu 101. Right. Seriously. Because it is for young men to not fear old men, great men, wise men, but men, but to fear the Word of God and the inspiration the Holy Spirit gives us through the Bible. We don't have direct inspiration like Elihu had. We have indirect inspiration through the Word of God, but we have it in print. And we have a whole lot more than Elihu had. And we should never forget that. Every young man in here, feed yourself on Elihu. There are slides on our website about, on our website about Elihu. There are, there's documents on our website about Elihu in detail going through Job chapter 32. The fear of man brings a snare. Elihu taught you in Job 32 last night that you shouldn't fear men. You should fear God and stand for the truth anyway. And look at now, let's turn to Psalm 119, and I know that you know these verses, but it's just to remind our young men they're in the Bible, and they shouldn't fear the intimidating in tactics of the chief priests and the Pharisees which exist in this town. Psalm 119, verse 98. This is what David, let's get verse 97, and it's wonderful exclamation point. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how love I thy law. That's what you should love. It's not some great man, wise man, old man, learned man, doctorate man, or institution named after a man. You should love the law of God. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Not the commentaries, not the systematic theologies, but the word of God. Verse 98, thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies for they are ever with me. God's commandments were always with David, and that's what he was always thinking about. And through those commandments, they made David wiser than his enemies. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers. And that's what you ought to believe. For thy testimonies are my meditation. God's testimonies give us wisdom that exceeds teachers without those testimonies. Verse 100, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Amen. You have the precepts with you in verse 98. You meditate upon them in verse 99. You obey them in verse 100. And if you'll do those three things, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. And you will know more than your enemies, more than the teachers, and more than the ancients. Those are the church fathers that they put on their library shelves, a hundred volumes of them, the most confused group of men that have ever represented Christianity in name only. They're not the real church fathers. You want the real church fathers? They're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're called the real church fathers. They're the Apostle Paul. He was the father of the Corinthian church by begetting them through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4.15. We have Elihu and we have Psalm 119. You like those verses, Brother John? We love those verses. And that's the confidence that we want to have in our young people, our children, that you put your confidence in the Word of God. Because these intimidating factors will, will intimidate you. Verse 48. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Who important's ever been a member of a church like yours? We don't care if important people have been a member of a church like ours. God's churches don't have important people in them. Read the Bible. They don't know how to read the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says... You see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, not many rich, not many of any status in this world have ever been called by God. Right. God hath chosen the poor things of this world, rich in faith. James chapter 2 and verse 4. Don't let them intimidate you. The Bereans used God's word to check the apostle Paul, and we believe that, that every man ought to be checked. Or of the Pharisees, have any of the rulers believed? Third method of the Pharisees is to appeal to the Pharisees because they are the most conservative denomination. Do you know how conservative we are? Do you think that little group that you've got is more conservative than we are? Are you out of your mind? We're the fundamentalists. How can you be more conservative than we are? Well, we're more conservative than they are in so many ways. 
They don't even know what real conservatism is. They make their rules up in matters of Christian liberty and call that conservatism. But they're so loose in doctrine. Listen, the most conservative group among them is on Howell Road. It's called Faith Free Presbyterian Church. And you ought to read their confession of faith. I wish I had it with me right now so I could read it word for word to you and quote it, but I'll just paraphrase it and I promise you it's going to have the, con the intent of their words. In our efforts, in our efforts to unite against liberalism and the attacks against Christianity, let us agree to disagree about the mode and method of baptism. Hmm. That's conservative. Let's unite against people that don't believe in God, Jesus, or blood redemption. They've never been a threat to Christians ever. Right. But let's unite against them. And, 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 and to do that, we Baptists and Presbyterians are going to have to ignore the method and the subjects of baptism. You can sprinkle them, that's okay. You can immerse and that's okay. You can do believers, that's okay. And you can do infants, that's all okay. We'll agree, we'll agree not to worry about those things so that we can unite against the liberals that deny Christianity. Hello? That's what they, that's what they are. Just remember that. Faith Free was represented by Ian Paisley in their pulpit, and he was by far the most popular speaker that university ever had. And while I like certain things about his delivery, his doctrine was pitiful. That's one of his churches that I've just referred to on Howell Road. The third Pharisee method is to appeal to the most conservative denomination. If the most careful, if the most careful and the most strict religious men do not believe on Jesus, then Jesus must be a liar. This is the bastion of orthodoxy. This is the citadel of the faith. This is the fortress of the faith. And they talk about themselves that way. I just want to warn everyone in here, and I want to warn everyone that works at Chick-fil-A, when you're around these good Christian people, just remember that there's another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel in the world. Right. We are not saying they're going to hell. We have never said that in this church. Because we of all people, more than they understand that the amount of truth a person believes is not what determines heaven or hell. Right. We of all people understand that. But we know that it's true worship that pleases God. And we want to have true worship ourselves. And we're going to criticize worship that isn't true because it doesn't please God. And at some time, someone has to say something against false doctrine. Right. So verse 48, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? And so they've used three techniques. They've ridiculed him in verse 47. They've appealed to authority, and they've appealed to relig religious conservatism. Verse 49, then they ridicule the common people that these officers have said, they're listening to this man. Never man spake like this man, and he's having some effect. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Everyone that didn't go to school with us, everyone that doesn't have a seminary degree, everyone that didn't go to the world's most unusual university, they're going to be ruined anyway because they don't have a clue. And so you've got the clergy set up and the laity put down and a great gulf between them that the laity can never question the clergy. And it was so bad in the past with the Roman Catholics that the clergy only used Latin in public. The clergy were the only ones that had the Bible. That is not the way it is in God's plan. In God's plan... The noble Bereans went and got their hands on Scripture and searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so, if the Apostle Paul actually had verses in the Old Testament that was leading and pointing to Jesus Christ. And so they could question and, and, and prove Him and test Him and try Him with the Word of God. And they were encouraged to do so. And the Bible says, the Bible's told Christians for 2,000 years that the Holy Spirit calls such men noble right. when they do it. And in this church, you are encouraged to read the Bible all the time. You are given every tool that I know of to help you understand the Bible. You are given an online Bible program. I taught you every secret of the trade. I taught you Bible hermeneutics as thoroughly as I know how. I document every single thing I ever say. It's on thousands of pages of outline. Ask Matthew. 
thousands of pages. I lay it out there for you. I want to be accessible. I want to be questionable. I want you to question me. But I want you to think a little bit before you do it, and I want you to do it respectfully. And you're probably not going to get a short answer. If you get a short answer from me, I'm hoping that a short answer will be sufficient because there's longer answers available. Because I will have likely spent more time on the subject than you can even imagine, let alone the time you spent on it. But still, read, check, prove. Because the Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. This pulpit is not sacred. I'm not sacred. The Word of God is sacred. And we better rightly divide it. And it's your tool as well. We believe in checks and balances in our civil government. There's checks and balances in the church of God. And it's in the written Bible that he's put in your hands. He's inspired it and preserved it and got it into your hands. You can buy a King James Bible so cheaply there's not even a copyright on it. Thank you, blessed God. Verse 49, but this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. These people can't figure anything out. These little common people that went out and got baptized by John the Baptist. Do you think we went out there and got baptized by John the Baptist? Well, you should have. But they didn't. And so they mocked the common people. Clergy, laity. When you pick up a book at Bob Jones University or you pick up a book anywhere at a Christian bookstore or you buy one online and you look at that thing, you flip open the front cover and it starts telling you about who wrote it and they got a picture there and a list of their degrees and the schools they went to and you turn the thing over and look on the back cover and it's got the same thing there, the degrees they've got and the schools they went to, what are they appealing to? They're appealing to this argument of the exalted position of the clergy. Who cares about where they went to school? Who cares about what degrees they got? It's irrelevant. Is your writing biblical? Jesus was as biblical as you could be. Matthew 2 kind of opened your eyes last night, didn't it? All the prophecies being fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. There were people waiting in Jerusalem that had read the law and they knew that the 480 years was about to come to a close and they were waiting for redemption. And they weren't part of the Sanhedrin or the leadership of the Jews. They were just there praying like Simeon, like Anna, praying and waiting for the redemption of Israel. And guess, Jesus appeared to them. God appeared to them. Simeon took up that baby in his hands and knew that he was holding the Christ child. Little children, children spread palm branches and clothes in the street and shouted Hosanna to the king, the son of David, as he entered Jerusalem for the last time. And the scribes and the Pharisees and these chief priests said, do you hear what they're saying? Do you hear what they're saying? They're blaspheming, calling you the son of David, the king of Israel. And Jesus said, if they were to stop, the stones would cry out. Amen. And out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, God has ordained strength. And don't you forget that, children. You think you're kind of young right now, Lydia? You are kind of young. Out of the mouths of, well, you're not a babe. Well, in a different way. But you're not a suckling. But you know, God used children to declare truth. Timothy was just a young man. Paul had to defend poor Timothy over and over in the Bible because he was such a young man he told the Corinthian church don't you dare despise his youth let no man despise thy youth he told Timothy the Bible will answer us we've got Elihu we've got David we've got those children thank you Lord we don't need to know the law the way they know it we need to know the law the way the Bible presents it Lord show us your word we want to emphasize the duty to search Scripture and provide the tools to do it. We want to be, I want you to be like Elihu. I want you to be like David. I want you to have those, have those testimonies with you. I want you to memorize them. I want you to meditate on them. I want you to obey them. And you're taught to do it. Now, we don't ever promote ourselves. We don't care about degrees. Listen, the last thing I would need is to go to seminary. Why? What in the world would I go to seminary for? 
All I, all I have to do is go to Amazon and drop 15 bucks and get the best systematic theologies out there and flip through a few pages to look at my acid test for systematic theologies and realize this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Oh, Lord, thank you for the truth. Amen. But we don't want to run to the opposite ditch of denying the use and value of teachers either. Because the Bible also says in Acts chapter 8, Philip, go join yourself to that chariot. Philip went and joined himself to that chariot, ran along beside it. And here's the eunuch from Ethiopia reading Isaiah 53. Sir, do you understand what you read? Sir, how can I except some man should guide me? God has arranged for men to guide us in the word Amen. of God. So there's a balance. But we want the crown of that road. We want to hate the clergy laity argument on one side, and we want to hate on the other side that everyone with a Google search box can figure out the word of God between now and 11. And that's how they think today. Everybody gets to write a blog. Everybody gets to write a comment to every article on the Internet. It's like everybody has all of a sudden become a genius and experienced and knowledgeable in all subjects. It's amazing. But it's not. It's incredible confusion. And we've now reduced the average intelligence behind the average written word to near zero. While the conscience of the believer is important, I'm teaching you things that some of you won't even fully appreciate the value of what I'm saying, and I don't mean that because it's me. I just mean it because it's the truth. The conscience of the believer is important, and I defend your consciences. And on matters of liberty, when you take different positions, I'll defend every position in this church. It is a poorly taught guide for truth. It is a good guide for you but it is a poorly taught guide for truth. It becomes your truth in matters of liberty, but conscience doesn't determine truth. God's conscience determines truth. And what he put that in the Bible. It's in Baptist circles, it's called the priesthood of the believer. For any of you that have ever heard this, the priesthood of the believer, which we believe in, everyone that believes in Jesus Christ as a result of regeneration, has been made a king and priest by Jesus Christ and can go directly to God. We totally believe in the priesthood of the believer. But the priesthood of the believer does not teach an independent voice for truth. The priesthood of the believer still means that they need a teacher to understand what the Word of God is teaching them. And so there's a mutual relationship of testing, reading, checking, and trusting. The first thing it said about the Bereans was, they received it with all readiness of mind. All readiness of mind. That's how they received. This is exciting. That's fantastic. Oh, I want to go home and just read Isaiah 53 and Psalm 110 and Psalm 2 that Paul used in today's preaching. And they would go home and it's all there. This is amazing. Yes, Lord, thank you. But it was by both. All of that was to say this clergy laity thing, don't be intimidated. Yeah, but Professor so-and-so said that. Dr. so-and-so. Why are they calling him Dr. so-and-so? Since half of them have honorary doctorates anyway, do you know what an honorary doctorate is? I know you haven't gone to very much school, but we want to make you a doctor anyway because we know that you're going to go out there and flatter us for doing so. And because it helps sell church pews to have a doctor in the pulpit. Listen, you don't want to come to me when you have a headache. There's no doctor in this pulpit. Do you know what you do have in your pulpit? You have an ass and an ox. And he does love every word of God. Nicodemus pipes up. Nicodemus saith unto them, He's the one that came to Jesus by night back in chapter 3, and we're going to meet him again in John chapter 19 when he's going to help bury Jesus. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and what he doeth? Nicodemus wasn't the most aggressive man. He came to Jesus by night because he was afraid of the Jews. He didn't say a whole lot here, like, I just want all of you to know that I was baptized, and now I'm telling you, I'm coming out of the closet. I'm a baptized Baptist. 
He didn't say anything like that. He just said, he appealed to the law. But I want you to notice something. These men worship the law. Strapped on, but they don't care about the law when it involves a Christian. Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Listen, why are you responding so fast to criticize these officers and to condemn Jesus Christ? Doesn't our law give Jesus of Nazareth an opportunity to defend himself and for us to look into the circumstances of his case before we judge him? And that is what the Old Testament taught. The Old Testament taught that when you had hearsay about some event, you were to make careful and diligent inquisition to determine that those facts are definitely certain before judgment was executed. And so there was an appeal made to law. How did they answer? Thank you, esteemed brother. Did they say, thank you, esteemed brother, for redirecting us to the law where we would have an objective criterion to determine the validity of Jesus of Nazareth? Was there anything like that said? They went right back to their first method. What's their first first method? Ridicule. Watch the ridicule. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Do you think they knew where Nicodemus was from? Absolutely. Had they published his resume a thousand times? Did they absolutely know where he was from? They mocked him as being from the backwoods redneck district around the Sea of Galilee. The only reason you'd say something like this is not because you care about the law, is because you must be from Galilee. Why, do you have some tie to this man? You have some tie to him? Hey, hey, brother. Do you see the intimidation going on right in the Sanhedrin? The rulership of the Jews? Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look. Why don't you go dig into the scriptures, Nicodemus? For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And they fall back to the same argument that we already had with the common people. They made fun of the common people that know not the law. The Pharisees and the chief priests couldn't do any better. All they had was the Galilee argument, which was based on inadequate research and a poor sampling because the evidence was all there that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went into his own house. Each man dropped any further discussion. Notice they didn't care about the law. They just ridiculed Nicodemus into silence. Every man went to his own house. Do you know what this reminds me of? Every man shall bear his own burden. And that includes each one that's sitting here today and each one that hears this sermon at some other time. Every man shall bear his own burden is the rule of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5. Truth is a personal matter. Truth is a very personal matter, and I I have dealt with each of you personally and individually today. It's from me to you. It's from God's word to you. This Yes, of course, I have to shoot a shotgun, the gospel shotgun hitting all of you, but it's between you and God. It's between you and the word of God. Each man, each man in this circle, each man dropped any further discussion of the most important matter of truth and the most important event they would ever have in their lives. Truth is a personal matter. It is what you believe and practice that counts. If you dislike, neglect, or tire of preaching services, you sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, and it's this short, despise not prophesyings. That's preaching. Don't reject, neglect, or tire of preaching because we all need preaching to bring the word of God to bear on our lives. These men needed preaching. These men should have all lined up and said, Lord Jesus, we would like to hear you preach until you're too tired to go on. They should have. They didn't. Every man shall bear his own burden. You're going to go out of here. It has been prayed in this pulpit that we should not come to this assembly and leave without changing our lives because then it will be for the worse rather than the better that we were even here. And that is a statement from the first epistle of Corinthians. You will stand alone before God as judge very soon to give a full account. Your parents, your pastor, your brethren will not be able to help you in that day. It is your duty and your wisdom to hear them now as they gently warn you. If you ever think that I am too hard or severe, you don't know Jesus Christ of the Bible. Wait till you meet him. John fell at his feet as dead. Your pastor gently warns you often out of duty to his captain, the judge. 
If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. That's what Paul would say. And they went unto his own house. You know, it's easy to agree with a multitude against Jesus when you're with the big crowd, but they all went to their own homes. And they, made, they all made their own individual choices. They turned the television on and watched a football game and forgot all about the fact that at stake was the identity of the Messiah of Israel who was standing on planet Earth in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple of the living God, and they rejected him, denied him, and turned others away from him. Jesus said, you shall receive the greater damnation because not only will you not enter into the kingdom of God, but you have taken away the key of knowledge so that others could enter in. Right. Do you and that is where we, li we live in that. How could they, with any love of their Messiah, any integrity, or any desire for truth, end the meeting? What will you do with the fabulous truth of the Holy Spirit that we've learned in recent weeks? What are you going to do with that? You had the truth laid on you about the Holy Spirit. I gave you the book of Ephesians. And it's repeated references to the Holy Spirit in each of its chapters. Your life does not change before God and should not with you when at home. Your life shouldn't change. You should be just like we are here, loving the Lord Jesus Christ. A man may feel secure at home, but that security leaves when death knocks. Mm -hmm. A man may be king in his own home, but Almighty God still measures everything he thinks, says, and does. Right. Let each man or woman have the commitment of David at home. I will behave myself in a perfect way in my house. Is what David said in Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. Do not let Sunday or any other assemblies be different. Let's come to hear the word of God. Let's come to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's come to learn of him like Brother James prayed for us and Daniel prayed for us. You now go to your own house. I'm done. This is the Lord's house. You now go to your own houses. What are you going to do? Will you live differently due to the Lord Jesus Christ and your belief in him? Will you read, review, pray, and self-examine to make sure you know the truth and are living it? You will give an account. So will I for today. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes. Amen.